All right. I want to talk about a common story tonight that we we uh, toss around a lot in uh, Christianity and and in church, um, and it's the story of the prodigal son. But I want to look at three other stories, or, or sorry, two other stories alongside that one, um, and kind of see see this truth that Jesus is um, trying to portray to us. Um, in uh, I guess the title of this is Hey M- McKenna. Hey McKenna. Hey, McKenna. 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 So awesome. McKenna. Hi. Sorry I'm late. It's okay. Welcome. Thank you. McKenna. So awesome. All right. So, um, yeah, we just started McKenna, so you're okay. Um, Sweet. Yeah. So I want to talk about the prodigal son and then paint this picture uh, around... Um, this title of Jesus is all inclusive. Um, so that's your title. If you're if you're taking notes, write that down at the top of your page. If you're not taking notes, it's okay. That was not a guilt uh, prod. That was not a slight to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I encourage you to take notes. It's how I remember things. It's how Blake remembers things. So I don't know. For all it's worth. Uh, so. I love uh, I love preaching. Uh, I'm going to start out with the prodigal son, and then we'll kind of wrap up and tie a bow on all of this with the two other uh, stories, okay? Is that all right? Yeah, Lex, that's really good. Indeed. Cool, thanks, man. All right, cool. So um, I love preaching this, this story, but I don't know if we talk about the older brother enough in the story. So I want to kind of talk about the older brother and how that relates to us, um, and how that relates to the, the church at large, how that relates to everything in our lives. Because usually we just talk about the redemption story, right? Like, oh, haya, the, the younger brother came back to the, to the father, and now there's a huge party, and they killed a fattened calf. Um, they killed a fattened calf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say it one more time just for everybody. They killed a fattened calf. I uh, just want to drill that home for Katie. Um they kill a fattened calf and they throw this big, big party, uh, big, big party. Um, and we talk about that a lot and it's great. I love, I love that part of the story. Um, but I don't know if we talk about the older brother enough. And I think, um, you know, I love talking about the older brother, especially to people, um, to, uh, people who've like grown up in the church, you know, uh, cause that's who it, it relates to a lot. Um, but if you haven't grown up in church, it's okay. It's just something to protect yourself of, of what uh, what could and might happen. So, um, yeah. I guess here's how I want to start. As if that wasn't my start. But here's how I actually want to start. Um, when you walk around a mall and you ask people why they're not Christians, they usually say because there's way too many rules. Right? On top, and it's kind of sandwiched in between hip- hypocritical and judgmental, right? If we're just being honest with each other tonight, that's okay. You know, it's just the reality that we do live in. And yes, it is sandwiched. These three are always sandwiched together. There's hypocritical, uh, way too many rules, and they're judgmental. Um, and I don't want to be a part of that community. And, you know, at the end of the day, that really breaks my heart. And it's like, all right, we're, what are we missing in this if what people are seeing from our lives is that there's way too many rules and that we're hypocritical and we're judgmental, right? You guys ever asked yourself that? You know, I'm sorry, but 
yeah, maybe it's not the reality and the the lens that we see uh, ourselves or Christians in, but it's the reality that people who don't believe in Jesus see us in. And that should start to kind of unsettle me. Not saying that that is complete overall arching truth, right? Uh, there's obviously all these kinds of, um, I guess, filters on these um, and, and perspectives on these. But I think um, I want you to remember this one phrase for this entire message. All right. So you can put it in bold. You can uh, put it in cal calligraphy if you want to, if you're that intense in your note taking. Um, but I want you to write this down. Being a Christian should not be an obligation. Being a Christian should not be an obligation. I'm sorry, but following Jesus should not be an inconvenience to my life. It should not be a drag. It should not be boring. And it should not be like a grocery list. Right? I, 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 I always went to the grocery when I was growing up. Not anymore. Um, but I always went to the grocery store with my mom. Um, because that was the way I could score on candy. Um, <laughs> just being honest. As yeah, whatever. No, no laughter. That's fine. Okay. I I still do it now. Well, yeah. It's me now. Now I just go. I I can just go and I can buy it. You know, I don't need mom. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but besides the point, that has nothing to do with the sermon. But um, I used to go to the grocery store with my mom, and she would have her her list. You know, and it would be on paper, and she would cross it off as she got the items. And I feel like some of us approach following Jesus the same way, you know? And maybe your list is different than others, right? Oh, I, I prayed today. All right, cool. I crossed it off the list. Oh, cool. I worshiped today. Cool. Let me pray. Uh, you know, oh, I read my Bible today. Uh, let me cross it off the list. Kind of thing, right? Or, oh, I, I said Jesus's name in a, in a secular setting, you know? And it's like, oh, cool. Let me cross that off the list. And then like it's turned into an obligation, maybe even for some of you. I, I, and, and that's okay. I, I want to kind of speak into that area and let's see if we can correct it, right? Um, so following Jesus um, just really should not be an obligation. Following Jesus should be full of, full of fullness, <laughs> full of uh, a life abundantly, and it should be something really, really fun and exciting. Um, and if it's turned into the mundane, hey, let me talk to you tonight. And that's okay. You don't need to raise your hand and say, hey, preacher, that's for me. No, just let me talk to you tonight and, and grasp this. And if, I, if we weren't in a Jesus Is series, I probably would have uh, titled this Relationship Not Religion or Shut Off the Cruise Control or Don't Check the Box or something like Wake Up, Smell the Roses kind of thing. But I want to take a, a, a spin on this, um, on this parable and talk about the older brother tonight. The older brother did all the right things, but wasn't in the father's house at the end of the story. Right? We've read the story. We'll read it again tonight. Don't worry. But at the end of the story, the older brother is not actually in the father's house. He's just around it. Right? He's almost still working, trying to earn it. Um, and I just want to, I want to read that together. Is that okay? Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So turn to Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 25. 
What verse? Uh, we'll just read 25 through 32. Tonight, I'm going to give you a summary before it, okay? So before this, this younger brother, this younger son, goes to his father and says, Hey, uh, give me all of my inheritance now. I want it all now. Usually you get an inheritance when somebody dies, when somebody passes away, and then they pass that along to you as a, as a symbol of inheritance and saying, Hey, you're part of my family, right? Kind of thing. Um, this younger son took that away and said, Hey, give me my inheritance of what I'm due now. Um, and then he runs away. He leaves the entire place, runs away, spends all of the cash um, on, on all sorts of different things, and then ends up at what we would call in modern day rock bottom. Um, and uh, he has this line of, it would be better for me to be in my father's house because his servants are eating better than I am. And he was even to the extent of eating out of the pig troughs and that's like, all right, that's pretty gross, right? That's pretty nasty. And just to put it in perspective of the times, pig troughs, um, being around pigs was still pretty unclean back then, right? Um, Acts 10 was not spoken over Peter's life where he says, rise, kill, and eat, and now everything's clean, right? So it's this interesting, interesting imagery of what Jesus is actually saying in this parable, right? Do you guys grasp that? It's like... I am so unclean, I'm so unworthy that I'm better off eating from where the pigs eat. Like, lower than trash kind of thing. All right, does that make sense? So that's the backdrop. And then he comes running home. Let me remember where verse 25 picks up. Yes, then he comes home. And the father um, kills the fattened calf. He has all of his friends over. They throw this huge, huge party. And then there's this older brother looking in and saying, what is the commotion? All right? What's going on in there? And that's where we're going to pick up is verse 25. Um, and we'll read to, to the end. All right? And it says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing because of the party. Yes? Verse 26. Um, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me your young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother. He was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the father's not only love um, and redemptive love, but, you know, sometimes when we're throwing our pity party and our pouty time, the father is still saying, hey, remember, right? Hey, remember everything that, I, everything that I've given you. Hey, remember all of the promise that is written over your inheritance, right? Do we remember this? 
So it's a beautiful yeah. story, but I want to focus on the older brother, like I've said 16 times. Um, so I want to focus on him um, and kind of add this element of what are we doing, right? What are we doing? Who am I? Who am I actually in this story? And I want you to place yourself as one of the characters um, who you think you're most like, you know? Are you going to be the younger brother who runs away and, you know, throws away the entire inheritance and then says, all right, I'm back. And then the father is still going to show love to you. Or are you going to be the older brother who's standing on that hilltop, listening to the music, listening to the dancing, listening to the joy and the abundance come out of the house and meanwhile refusing to go into the house because of what somebody else did and they were welcomed in that house, right? There is this level of judgment that this older brother is walking in right now, right? Do we see this? He's like, well, that guy shouldn't be celebrated, right? We see this and it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it even says in verse 25 that he was in the fields working still. And he has been serving for so many years and never neglected the father's commands. And yet the older brother is not in that house. I'm going to journey tonight to say you can do all the right things, check all the right boxes of church and religion, and not end up in the father's house. Right? I, I, I mean, that's what the story's saying, yes? I'm not making this up tonight, right? That's what that's outright says is, you know, the father's house is this picture of heaven, correct? Are we seeing this imagery in the story? It's this picture of heaven and is my jealousy, is the, is the older brother's jealousy inhibiting him from walking through those gates, right? And don't worry, it's not going to be all in your face. I'm not going to be too harsh tonight, so just... just it's okay. We'll, we'll journey through this together, you know. Um, it's interesting, right? And then we see this flip side. The father didn't move, right? The father stayed at the house, right? He didn't go running after him. He didn't uh, text him on his cell phone. He didn't, he didn't call him. He didn't, he didn't send a dove with a, with a letter. He didn't do anything as uh, in this nature. But then we see this other story with the parable of the lost sheep, right? And I was talking with Ashton about this story and I was like, I had kind of this moment of like, okay, why did the father stay in the parable of the prodigal son, but in the parable of the lost sheep, he actually left the 99 to go after, right? We see these two different perspectives of the father here. One, he stays at the house, and then two, he leaves, leaves all of the group, leaves the 99, which are part of kind of having the party, you know, all of this, and then goes after the one, right? Do we see this? It's very, it, it's super interesting. And then we see with Jesus, or with the disciples, sorry, with the disciples, Jesus has died. And then the disciples are like, okay, well, we're leaving, <coughs> right? Did we see this in scripture? It's in, oh, where did I write it? John 21. And I, I think we'll flip there depending on how the Lord leads me tonight. Um, in John 21, 
the disciples resort back to their old ways. Right? Remember? Jesus is on the shore. They're trying to fish again. <laughs> they threw the nets on the, on the side of the boat and no, no fish are coming into the nets. And they're like, wow, man, <laughs> life sucks right now, you know? Jesus is gone. There's no fish in my nets. Ho-hum. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms, right? Kind of thing. And it's this attitude that the disciples kind of approach uh, their life in. It's like, well, all right, our Jesus is gone. And now what do we do? Well, I guess we better resort back to our old ways, right? Because they were all fishermen by trade originally, right? And how often do we do this? How often do we do this same thing? Oh, we call it a dry season, right? And then we go back to our old ways, right? It's the way it goes. You know, we can be honest here. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I do it too. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to correct that, right? I'm trying to correct that. So it's this interesting imagery of, all right, um, prodigal son, father stays at the house. Lost sheep, the father leaves and goes after. In the disciples' story, Jesus yells and says, hey, come here, let's eat. Right? Do we see these different imageries? Okay? So it's interesting. Um, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that again. I just wanted to get it off, get it fresh on my mind, because that's what the Lord spoke to me also while we were praying, is that kind of imagery. And then we'll, we'll continue on in that. Okay? We good? Makes sense so far? Yes? Great, great, great. Yeah. Okay. Now I want uh, you to turn or even write down in your notes. I'm going to read it to you. Um, Matthew 7, 21 through 24. This is a popular verse. Um, and, you know, I just want to kind of pair it with uh, what we're talking about tonight. Okay. So this is a popular verse in Matthew 7, 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on the, that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And do we not perform many, many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house on a rock. Right? I don't know about you guys, but that kind of intimidates me. Like, okay, I've been one of those guys who's done those works. And am I going to be the guy who the Lord says, sorry, I don't know who you are. Right? Kind of, kind of stirs me up a little bit. Like, all right, <laughs> I need to do something different. Uh, there's something more than just doing the work of the Lord. And that's my point tonight is the brother in the older brother in the story did all of the right things. He did all of the right things. He did the work, right? But was he actually still doing the will of the father? Right? Was he just serving the house or was he serving the father? I guess that's the point tonight. Was he serving the house or was he serving the father? Our God is a relation is a relational God right? He's not, he's not religion. We can't trick him into letting us into heaven. <laughs> it's a matter of, hey, you're on, you're on the guest list or not, right? I know you, 
you know, and you know me kind of thing. That that kind of that kind of imagery. The Lord knows me and I know him and that's the way we get into the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't sound like relationship or sorry, dang it. That doesn't sound like religion, correct? That sounds a lot like relationship. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, he is relational. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, you have to believe that the Lord is relational. He's here now and always, right? He doesn't just come and go as he pleases. He's here and now. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, right? To throw you a little theological on it, all right? Cool. So I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer the whole entire, whole entire time, but I do want to call this out in us today. Um, and I know that this stuff isn't talked about enough. You know, all, all my entire upbringing, um, I, I was raised in a Christian home. My entire upbringing was, hey, Lex, you need to serve at the church more. And man, did that lead to nothing. You know, and I can't blame it on the church. You know, I can, I can only blame it on me because I was being stupid, right? But I was just doing all the right things so that people would understand and take me seriously. Does that make sense? It's not enough to just be good people anymore and not steal and not lie and not do this or that. We have to align our hearts with the Father and we have to truly understand what it means to have Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's it. Tonight, I want to talk to you guys about moving into a place of taking risk as God wills it. And being okay if we look stupid but know that we're chasing after the will of the Lord. Right? I'm not journeying to say that the younger brother was taking a risk in the Lord. No, I'm not saying that. And have you heard that? You're, you're silly, silly. All right? I'm not saying that. But it's very, very interesting of like, okay, we need to start taking risk in the Lord and being okay if we look silly to the outside world. Right? Because all I wanted when I was, when I was growing up in the faith was for somebody to take the faith seriously. That's all I wanted. And I was like, well, if they can take it seriously, then I must be able to. And I know that's a bad outlook, but like that's what I was hungry for. Like, is this really worth laying your life down? And I didn't see that when I was growing up. Is this really worth, is Jesus really worth laying my entire life down? Okay? So how can I get out of the habits of checking boxes and just calling myself a Christian and saying it's okay, right? I want it to turn into something we naturally do without thinking, kind of like breathing and our heart beating. I don't know what that's actually called. I know there's a word to it, um, but I, I, it's been a while since I've been in science class. Uh, <laughs> so I want it to just be so natural. I want the relationship that I have with the Lord to flow out of me so naturally that I don't have to work it up or crank it up or do anything of that kind of nature, that it just comes naturally. It comes as a byproduct of my relationship with the Lord. Being a Christian should not be an obligation. Being a Christian should, not, should, being a Christian should be something we do naturally without thinking because we're desperate for the Lord's heart. Yes? 
I don't know if I've asked these questions here before or um, if you've heard these questions. I know they're kind of cliche, but I, I always like to challenge myself with them. Um, and uh, yeah, here they are. So first question is, if, if the home were to close down, how would your life change? You know, we'll start small. If the home were just to close down, how would your life change? Probably not that much, right? Probably not that much. You've, you've already made friends, you know, and it would be fine. You would find another church you and your friends go to and worship together and, and you would carry on, right? But let's take it up a notch. What if all the Christian churches closed? How would your life change? Right? What if there was no such thing as a Jesus church anymore? What would, what would happen? Would I still be a Christian? Would my life stay the same? Would I read my Bible still? Would I still be a Christian? Right? Challenging question. Very challenging question. We, we love community. We love worshiping the Lord in a corporate setting, right? And I get it. I do too. But what if they closed? What if there was no more... <laughs> what if there was no more um, no more churches, no more corporate? It'd be, it'd be tough. Or, then what if what if you are the last Christian on earth? Would you be like, oh, I must have been nuts. You know, I must have been wrong. Everybody else fell away from this. Or is Jesus that real to you? Right? Or do you know him on a personal level? Would you continue? Would your faith be strong enough to continue? If you were the only person who, who declared Jesus as Lord and Savior and King, how would we approach? Big questions, right? They're challenging. They're convicting. They stir something in me of like, okay, what would I do? And I know it's all what ifs, and I you know, you don't know until you're actually in that kind of thing. I hope we never experience that, by the way. But you don't know until you're in it. So I would like to say, oh yeah, I would stand firm. But like, would I? Or would I just chalk myself up as a nut job and say, well, I must have been wrong. Everybody else changed their mind, so I must have been wrong. Sometimes we think if we just follow the rules and be a good person and say Jesus once a week, we get our fire insurance and we're fine. You know? I've fallen into that trap. But again, I, I think we can't check all the boxes. Well, if we try to check all the boxes, we probably won't walk through the gates. Right? And, you know, that Matthew 7 stands out to me of like, okay, this is interesting. They cast out demons and healed people and did things in Jesus' name and they didn't walk in? It's like, yeah, the Lord still wants his will done. Right? The Lord still wants his stuff done. And hey, if you're willing to, you know, speak up, great. The Lord will probably use that. But 
Jesus is saying, hey, you're not guaranteed to get into the kingdom of heaven if you're just using him. Right? Because there's no relationship involved in that. There's no intimacy involved in that. Our God is a God of more. He's not just a God who says, oh, yeah, you're good enough. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> you know, he's not like, oh, you're, oh, you're born again? No? Oh, cool. All right, that's good. You don't need to do anything else now. <laughs> right? No, he's like, hey, you need to learn. You need to understand who I am. And we need to build a relationship, Lex. And that's what the Lord is saying to you, right? That's what he's saying. That's his entire heart cry of all of Scripture is, hey, get to know me. Hey, I want to entrust you with more. Hey, keep on being obedient so I can keep on pouring out blessing to you. Right? He's a God of increase. Not for our gain, right? But for his gain, for kingdom gain. And it's a beautiful thing. What a better thing to invest in than the kingdom. Right? And if you've, if you've experienced this, and you understand this on a whole other level. Like, okay, I saw somebody come to Christ today. Whoa, that's freaking cool. That's like the most legit investment I could ever make. Right? And that's really good. Are you after more of a relationship with God, God Almighty with your life? Are you going after more faith in your life? Are you striving to never stop, never quit, never give up until the day you die to learn who the Father is? Are you desperate for your little heart and your little body to beat at the same pace the Lord's heart beats? Right? That is all stuff that the Lord says, hey, you can do it. Right? If you've read your Bible, you understand that he says that. He says that I am desperate for you to know my heart. I'm desperate for you to do my work. I'm desperate for intimacy and relationship and all of these things. The Lord wasn't just sad at the Garden of, eat of, uh, of Eden just because they ate of a tree that they weren't supposed to. He was sad because they didn't listen to him in relationship. Right? That's it. I want us to throw away our cruise control. I really do. Because some of us are just on cruise control. We're like, well, I know enough. I know enough about Jesus and that's good enough for me. But it's not. It's not. I'm sorry, if he can say at the end of time, like, hey, not all who say Lord, Lord to me and we prophesied and we've cast out demons and all of these things, then, hey, there's something that we need to do more of. And what is it? Build relationship, build intimacy. Right? I want us to throw away the stale relationship with the king. I want us to go after more. Does this make sense so far? Yep. Okay. Turn to Acts 1. Or just write it down. I'm going to read it to you. Acts 1, verse 14. You guys might ask why I'm so so excited about the topic of relationship and intimacy with the Lord. And it's because of this. And what's to come here. 
So it says in Acts 1.14, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, did you catch it? One mind continually. Yeah? Cool. What's that sound like? Sounds like the perfect definition of fellowship. Right? Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm great at fellowshipping and community, but all we do is hang out and talk a bunch of nonsense about something that doesn't matter, and then we call it fellowship. Right? We call it, oh, this is small group, and we're going to talk about what... Uh, whatever i don't even nothing pops into my head right now you know we're going to talk about something that's not the lord right i'm sorry that's not fellowship we can't call that fellowship fellowship is something that is is spiritual it is something that is is in in unity with the lord not unity with whatever else that you guys that you're talking about you know does that make sense i can't call something fellowship when i'm playing halo Right? I can't do that. I can't call something fellowship while I'm playing playing ping pong. Right? I can't do that. Fellowship is something sacred to the Lord. And it's one mind in unity around Him. <laughs> it's like, that's it. I can, I mean, we just, I'm all for hanging out. You know, don't get me wrong. I love hanging out, you know. But we can't call hanging out fellowship. Does that make sense? Fellowship is God-centered. One mind continually devoting themselves to prayer. Did you catch that? Continually devoting themselves to prayer. Could you imagine if that's how churches and how we define and if that's how we define fellowship? Can you imagine that? Like how much cooler would that time be? It'd be really cool, right? We would probably grow better, right? I guess that's just my opinion. Okay. And then it continues on and Pentecost comes. You know? And together again, Pentecost uh happens in Acts 2 verse 1 and it's when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and all together in one place. They were focused on one thing. I would journey to say that they were all praying because of what we read in Acts 1.14, right? I would journey to say that this all happened because they were available for the Lord to use them. They weren't talking about which stake is best, right? That's not what they were talking about. They weren't talking about which which grocery store is the best. I can't think of anything relevant right now. I, which which uh, they weren't talking about sports they weren't talking about the draft right what they were talking about was the lord what they were consumed in, and zeroed in on was the lord and guess what they were available and then pentecost happened and then the world changed forever correct that's really cool and then it reads in acts 2 41 through 47 if you want to write that down so then those who had received his words were baptized and that day there were about um, 3,000 added. Oh, okay. I'd say that's pretty successful, yeah? Pretty good conference, yeah? <laughs> All right, let's... Verse 42. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Okay? And then verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many awes or many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have needed. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay? Hey, if you get hung up on the signs and wonders portion of that, it's okay. Let's forget about it for a second. Let's focus on the fellowship portion of what's happening in this. Right? Do you see the fellowship portion? They were devoting themselves to prayer, the teaching, to breaking bread together, to all of these things, looking out for one another, building relationship with one another in one central Jesus. Isn't that cool? Does that encourage you today? That's really cool, I think. You know, over and over we hear through that entire thing, the one mind, together, continually devoting. And 3,000 souls, that's pretty good. Yeah? It's pretty good. Everything changed. This was the biggest shift in the universe that happened on that day. Right? So that's why I'm crazy about this. Because I want to see thousands rushing in saying, I want Jesus, I want Jesus. Don't you? It sounds pretty cool to me. But it can only happen if we are all in one mind, one accord, and together, and not holding back one bit. In Acts 2.47, it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. And it makes me ask, what happened? <laughs> you know, what happened? Like, how far have we come from that? I, and I understand that, I know, people are getting saved every single day, and, and that's great. But, like, what happened? Why did that stop? Do we even have faith that the Lord can do that again today? Or do we even want Him to? You know, if we don't want Him to, then that's the spirit of the older brother. Like, oh, I know what they've done. <laughs> Right? Oh, I've no one. I know what they've done. They're jacked up. There's no way that they should have a party, right? And that's an older brother perspective. But what's the father do? He's all inclusive. He says, "Hey, I know what you've done, uh, but hey, you're back. You're back." And again, being a Christian is not an obligation. Being a Christian is a privilege. Because the Lord reaches down and decides, yeah, I think I'll use you today. I think I'll use you today, Savannah. I think I'll use you today. Like, whoa, okay. Oh, that, all right. That humbles me a little bit, right? I think I'll use you today, Ashton, right? Like, oh, all right. Uh, so it's not up to me. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's not up to you. It's, hey, I'm, I'm here. I have put myself on the, 
on the altar, for lack of a better term, right? We have to be in relationship with him. We need to be with the Lord more than just one day. Right? I want us to throw away the cruise control and then put our gas pedal to the floor. Right? Because that sounds more fun. Nobody, nobody in this entire chat doesn't like putting the gas pedal down further. Correct? Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right. There we go. Grant. All right. He came clean. Grant came clean. Thank you. Chase has got a little smirk, you know, but he's always afraid of a belt's going to slip or his engine's going to explode. You know, it's... Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> but you get the point, right? Nice and easy. Yep. <laughs> Everybody likes going fast. You don't go go-karting just to go slow, right? You don't play Mario Kart to lose, right? You do these things to go fast. And that's what I want to do with the Lord. I want to put my pedal to the middle and say, Lord, I am all in for you. Right? So, now I want to flip back to these other passages. Okay? I want to think back to these other passages and how fascinating it is of what the Father does and what Jesus does in all of these different scriptures. Right? One, the father stays, prodigal son. The other, the father goes after. And then the last, Jesus says, hey, come here. Let's eat breakfast, <laughs> right? And it's these, it's this interesting, it's this, I guess what I'm trying to say with showing you these three passages is that the Lord works in whatever way he sees fit. Okay? Just to put a generic kind of blanket statement on it, yes, he works in whatever way he sees fit. But the common thread of all three of these things is, one, redemption. Two, uh, the Father is all-inclusive. And then third, which is, makes us all a little uneasy, is in all three of these stories, somebody left the belief. Somebody left the faith, right? And I don't know if I can make that large of a jump with the disciples. I understand that. But they went back and resorted to their own ways, right? We can't acknowledge that, correct? And the thing I want to illuminate is the redemption that the, that the father walked in with the prodigal son story. Says, hey, I, you're not too far gone. I know how jacked up you <laughs> have been and all the junk that you did dabble in. And I still love you and I'm still glad that you're here. Even to the extent where he ran to him, which is frowned upon in that culture. Um, it's like very frowned upon. You don't run if you're, a, if you're a kingsman kind of. If you're of authority, you don't run. Uh, you don't work up a sweat. Um, that's why you don't run. That's why I don't run. Yep. Yep. All right. So just, yeah. Thank you. Thank Sorry. you for smiling. Um, so, right, that's frowned upon. So the Lord is, the, the Father is going to go to drastic lengths to let you know that he loves you, right? Um, and then we see that he's going after in the in the sheep story, right, where he leaves the 99 to go after the one, right? The the Corey Asbury song in, in scripture. Yeah, cool. Well, I hope we understand that. Cool. Uh, he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And there's this beautiful imagery of him leaving. 
the believers and him going after and pursuing that one person. And it's a very interesting. I'm not going to uh, get into a conversation on predestination or anything like that because I don't want to journey through that because that's a whole nother actually sermon series that we could probably talk about that on. But what I do want to show you is again his redemptive love and that he cares enough to go after you. He cares enough to run after you. Do you understand that? And then my favorite one, because Jesus is in it, you know, and it's not just him telling stories to illuminate a kingdom truth. This one, where the disciples are in the boat catching nothing, Jesus says, throw the nets on the other side, and they catch everything. This is the most beautiful, which I'm going to just tie the bow on this, I hope. All right? So, this is beautiful, because what we see is them going and resorting back to their old ways, right? Which, what's that, what's that mean? Checking boxes, going back to the way you thought you were supposed to live, right? Which may be your day today. Um, and I'm calling something out of you to kind of ramp it up a little bit more. Let's, let's go a little bit more, but we'll, we'll end with that. So he, they go back to their old ways and they catch nothing. And then when Jesus speaks on something, and in their original call of, hey, you were fishermen, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men, that, that you know, that line, that, that line that we quote all the time that Jesus says, and it's beautiful, I love it, and it's this prophetic thing that, the, that Jesus is now kind of bringing to purpose in this story of now I'm going to make, hey, hey, throw the nets on the other side, right? It's in John 21, verse 4, if you want to read it later. He, Jesus is saying from the shore, throw the nets on the other side. And they do, and they walk in purpose. And it's this prophetic thing of like, hey, when Jesus speaks something, it will always happen. Does that make sense? And how does this relate? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. It all relates because the Lord cares. Flat out. The Lord just cares. He cares. No matter what you've been through, no matter what, where you're headed that you think is the right way, He cares and He wants you to walk back in your purpose again. Whether it's you, you leaving the Father's house to go figure out life, He cares. And He'll welcome you back with open arms. Whether it's you leaving the belief from the 99, he cares enough to say, I'm going to go after you to bring you back into my family. And then to, to kind of put the whole bow on this, whether he's got of increase, so even if you're lacking in something, he's already breathing on something that you're going to increase in so that you can walk in your full purpose and bring it back to shore so he can breathe on your next chapter in life. Does that make sense? It's this mind-blowing thing, and I, I think it's kind of fascinating. Of, you know, Jesus calls them back. Says, hey, come back. I've got something else for you. Hey, come back. I've got greater purpose for you than just getting fish from a lake. Right? I've got a greater, greater purpose. Remember, you're supposed to be fishers of men. And then they understand that it was Jesus. And what do they do? Run as fast as they can back to him. 
and they're saying, oh my gosh, he's here, kind of thing, right? Oh my goodness. And then wham, that's where that gospel ends, and then Acts begins. And it's this living out of what Jesus already breathed on them. And that's why it's so beautiful that thousands were being added. 3,000 came to the Lord on that one moment. Numbers were being added to their day, or adding to their, uh, how do you say that? Adding to their numbers day by day. Numbers were being added to their numbers day by day. There you go. And it's this beautiful thing of like, okay, when I, when I understand how relational he is, how much he cares, then I get to walk in purpose and I guarantee that he's going to show up time and time again. Right? By no means is this a message of saying, hey, I'm going to go leave so I can find my purpose. No, 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 do not hear that. I'm telling you, hey, let's take our faith to a whole nother level. Tonight, tomorrow, the next day, every single day, let's keep on growing in relationship with the Lord so we don't have to do that stuff. You know, that stuff is so that we can be encouraged when we share the gospel. Right? Do we get this beautiful picture? That Jesus is all-inclusive, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've wronged him, no matter if you've left the belief in, in, in its entirety, he's always saying, here I am. I am the king. I am Messiah. And now we just need to walk in that. We need to trust in that. And I guarantee he'll do things beyond your greatest imagination. Even the things that you don't think he can do. Right? That's that's my testimony. You know? Even the things I was like, there's no way you have access to that, Lord. Are you sure? You know? That's that's pretty VIP, God. I don't know if you can I don't know if you can talk to that. And sure enough, he does. He's got exclusive access anywhere. And his redemptive spirit is everywhere. Right? And I just want you to put all your eggs in that basket. That there is redemption. That there is promise. There is provision. And that Jesus is not confused about, oh my gosh, how am I going to reach this person for me? You know? Sometimes we think that there's this game plan that we have to draw up on our, on our whiteboard to figure out how. You know? But at the end of the day, it's just, hey... Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves the next person just as much, right? And if we understand his love for everybody, then it's so much easier to talk about him to everybody. He's all-inclusive. Great? Does that excite you tonight? Does that stir something in you tonight to say, all right, let's do it? I hope it does. And if it doesn't, hey, that's okay. Listen to it again, and maybe it will that time. <laughs> Thanks for smiling. All right?